wonderful message of that song, what if I give all? I'm willing to give something up um, in order to be able to give. And uh, we, we looked, actually that, that message went very well with what we had as our message last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 of being a good steward uh, with the finances, with the opportunities, and with the people that God gives to us. And this week, you know, I've, I've, one, of the, one of the things I usually like to do, I, I probably have not always done it, but uh, usually when we preach through a book, either at the very first um, message or the last message, I like to dedicate an entire message to the entire book, the book as a whole. And uh, since we didn't do that at the beginning, and just since also where we, where we ended last week with 1 Corinthians 16, I've, I felt that uh, um, it just all of a sudden we're done. We've been studying 1 Corinthians for, uh, well, since January began uh, this year, and uh, now we are looking back on that study. I, I plan to, um, as, uh, as I believe in uh, preaching a variety of lengths and uh, topics and studies and Old Testament and New Testament, I plan to go to an a short uh, Old Testament series uh, looking at probably Jonah in the coming weeks and then also uh, some topical messages and uh, before we come back to to another New Testament study as I'd like to have that variety since we were in a long New Testament study I'd like to have a, a short Old Testament study and some topical messages come upcoming but before we go to those upcoming uh, Studies. We want to look back at the book of 1 Corinthians and what 1 Corinthians has taught us as we've studied that now since, since January. And so we'll look at just a couple of verses here and there um, throughout uh, the chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians, some of the key verses that bring the message of 1 Corinthians. And as we saw when we began 1 Corinthians and throughout our study of 1 Corinthians, the, the theme of 1 Corinthians as Paul has been asked certain questions by the people at Corinth, and as he's been brought certain reports, and certain issues have come to his attention from the church of Corinth, he wrote this epistle so that the Corinthian church, and so our churches today, our church today, would find this unity in serving Christ, and looking to Christ first of all, and then also to one another and building one another up as the church, having that unity of service, serving Christ as a united church is really the theme we find in 1 Corinthians. And this morning, looking at the book as a whole, we're going to look at three messages of 1 Corinthians that teach us that serve, to serve Christ as a united church. We'll start in 1 Corinthians 1 this morning, uh, verses 10 through 13. Uh, well, maybe we'll just look at verse 10 for, for now, for sake of time. We'll look at a verse in each passage, uh, uh, Lord willing, this morning. At 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. The first message that Paul brings to the church of Corinth is to address the areas in the church where... Uh, that are preventing unity, to address the issues that are preventing 
a unity. And so there are certain issues that bring contention. The first one Paul addresses is the area of divisions. In the Church of Corinth, people were viewing themselves differently from other people in the church. Oh, I was baptized by this person, or I was one to the Lord by this person, or I like this person's particular uh, Bible study. And they were looking at themselves as groups, as smaller groups within the whole church. And Paul said, no, we're all following Christ. And there were even some in the church that said, oh, well, you follow that person and I follow Christ. But no, we're all uh, together to have one mind, Paul tells us. And that's verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 1. Now I beseech you, brethren, we're brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the reputation, the will of Christ, the name of Christ, we all meet together in the name of Christ, we all bear his name as Christians, as believers, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. And in our first message from this book, we looked at how Paul was bringing this message in chapter 1 concerning the different perceptions and how we shouldn't perceive ourselves as, well, that's that group from that part of the city, or they follow this person, or they've been with the church this long, and I've been this long, or they're this age, and I'm this age, and uh, we like this and they like that. No, let's all look at ourselves together as being of one mind in Christ and how we view ourselves as his church rather than being divided. And let's have that same mind and same judgment. That is the first issue, the issue of divisions, the issues of different cliques within the church that Paul addresses. And then the second issue Paul addresses in chapter 2, if you go with me to chapter 2, verse 16, the second issue that was preventing unity that Paul addresses to the Corinthian church is spiritual maturity. That sometimes uh, what may hinder our unity is a, just a lack of spiritual growth in our own personal walk with the Lord and uh, becoming mature as a, as a believer, maturing in our faith, growing in our walk with Christ. And uh, it starts in verse 16 and continues into chapter 3 in the first opening verses. Verse 16 of chapter 2, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are carnal, for whereas there are among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men. So Paul is getting to one of the root issues here. Why are there divisions? The divisions in the church are merely a symptom and not the problem itself. The symptom is pointing back to a need for spiritual growth, for spiritual maturity in Christ, to have that perfect mind of Christ that Paul spoke of in chapter 1. So we need to be growing in Christ. We need to be spiritually maturing. And we looked at how that uh, occurs in that message devoted to that earlier in our study of 1 Corinthians. Another issue Paul addresses is we find in, uh, in chapter 3, further down the, the passage, and that is that uh, motivation, 
We need to have the proper motivation, inspiration uh, for our efforts to be well united. And that is that we all have, should have in common this motivation of serving Christ together, uh, not uh, separately, not for our own you know, reputation, for our own glory, for our, for our own name, but for Christ, that we are merely his stewards. And that's the idea we see in verse 8 through 11 of chapter 3. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. So Paul is saying, don't focus on who leads someone to the Christ or who first gave someone a tract or who first invited that person to, to church, uh, but rather we're all one. We're all one. Our efforts are united. We all have that in common. We're all trying to reach as many people as we can with the gospel and to encourage all of, all of our, our um, members and visitors to grow in Christ. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. You are the harvest, you are the building that God is building, all of us together, according to the grace that God hath, which is given unto me, the grace of God. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we all may have our contributions, our certain role, our certain gifts that we bring to the body of Christ and to the building effort of building the Lord's church together. But it's all coming together because of Christ, because he is the foundation of the church. We are his harvest, and we are also laborers in that harvest, but we are also the harvest. And so we all are one in that when we have that proper motivation and that proper perspective of our role in the church, then that helps us to have unity. Where when we start to focus on our individual tasks and our individual gifts, and we'll get back to that, that concept again. Another issue that Paul addresses preventing unity are sinful practices within the church. Now, on the same topic uh, as the united, unity of purpose, the unity of motive, is verse 7 in 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4, For who maketh thee to differ from another? 1 Corinthians 4, 7, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? In other words, the gifts, the part that we have in the body of Christ is given us by Christ, and uh, so that we have all that in common. And then the, the, on the issue of sin that can prevent unity, look down to verse 7 of chapter 5, verse 7 of chapter 5. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And of course, he's not talking about people here. He's talking about sin. Purge out the sin uh, that is in your life. Just like a little yeast in a loaf of bread causes the whole loaf to rise. And that is an illustration that Jesus himself used, referring to the Pharisees uh, in worshiping God. A little sin leavens the, uh, just affects, infects the whole body. 
And so that has to be removed because that sin can prevent unity. Verse 8, Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but of the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Of course, he uses the illustration of bread because of the Passover for the Jews and for the Lord's Supper that we partake in together uh, and will next week as we do here the first Sunday each month, uh, remembering the Lord's death for us and the unleavened bread being a picture of his perfect, um, of, his, uh, of the holiness of God, yet making that sacrifice, having his body broken when he did not have to suffer that death because he had no sins to pay for himself, but he was paying for our sins. And so we want to be a picture of him bearing his image and remove that sin uh, from our lives. Uh, chapter 6, verse 7, um, Seven was where we just were, and verse twelve. Verse uh, going to verse chapter six, verse seven. Excuse me, chapter six, verse seven. We were just in five or seven, and now we're going to verse seven of chapter six. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? So Paul is saying, the practice here of taking each other to court needs to end. Don't go to law before the ungodly. Uh, that is preventing their unity. It's preventing um, their serving Christ effectively together. And uh, so Paul addresses that uh, problem in the Corinthian church, that uh, believers in the church should not be suing one another, that they should be resolving their differences uh, there are disagreements within the church. Get an arbiter from the church and settle your differences in that way rather than going to a secular court. And uh, then verse 12 of that same chapter, verse 12, chapter 6. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And then going down to verses 19 and 20 on that same note. What know ye not? And here's the idea, again, of sin needs to be abstained from. Uh, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. So that issue of sin has to be addressed and removed or unity is prevented by, by, those, by those particular sins mentioned there. The immoral practices was mentioned last there. Some of, um, things that can be offensive to others, whereas in verse 12, and of course, suing one another or allowing any um, practices of, um, of sin in the church can prevent unity. So after addressing some of the issues in the church of Corinth that were preventing uh, unity and addressing those same issues for us that can prevent unity, Paul moves on to focusing on the per right perspective for the church. That rather than seeing and focusing on our own role in the church, that we look at the body as a whole, that rather than being focused on what's good for us personally or what 
uh, is going on in our own lives or our, what our own gifts are, that we look at others, that we have the perspective of the church. What is best for the church as a whole? What can I do to help others in the church? How will my gift benefit and the use of that in the church benefit them? So having that outward perspective rather than an inward perspective is the second message in the book of 1 Corinthians for the unity of the church to effectively serve Christ. And we'll find this, picking this up in chapter 7, verse 25. Chapter 7, uh, 7 verse 25. On the issue of marriage. Where some in the church of Corinth were, when they came to know Christ, they were married to someone who perhaps did not come to Christ, who did not get saved. And Paul uh, writes to them that they, you know, they'd be willing to stay with their husband or wife if they're willing to stay with them and perhaps they'll be able to win them to Christ. Or if someone is already single, what is the perspective they should have in their marriage that they would consider what does God want? What, how, what will best serve the church? Marriage or perhaps remaining single? Look at verse 25 of chapter 7. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord. Yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose therefore that it is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But if, but and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. But I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as those that they that have none. And they that weep as though they have wept not, and they that rejoice as though they had rejoiced not, and they that buy as though they had possessed not. And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passes away. And the, the message there is... Wherever you find yourself in life, don't be so focused on, I have to improve this area. This particular area is, of course, the area of marriage. I have to pursue, per, improve this particular area of my life. But how can I serve the Lord where I am right now? And if God leads that person to get married, so be it. And perhaps they can serve the Lord better in that way. And, and some uh, are called to, to be single and some are called to be married or at least um, a allowed and used within that marriage for Christ. And uh, whether it be someone who was already married and their spouse didn't get saved when they did and they're used as a witness to that spouse and to their children who would otherwise be uh, growing up in an unsaved home or used as a witness um, through the working together with the spouse in the ways that would otherwise not be possible, um, single or vice versa, however God leads in each individual case. So again, the focus there in that chapter is um, what would God use? Your, pos your position as married or single, how will God lead? All right, and then the 
uh, next uh, area in which God reminds us through Paul here is in chapter 8. Uh, the next area addressed is the issue of things offered to idols. And Paul asked them to change their perspective from what do I believe, how do I feel about this meat that's offered to idols, to how does it affect the church. Changing your perspective from an inward to an outward perspective. And how we practice our convictions. How we practice our convictions. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And skip down to the very last verse of that passage. Verse 13. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. So Paul said, I'm going to put aside what I feel, what I think about this issue for what is good for my brother. And if that means I never eat meat again, that so be it. Uh, now he's making that as an illustration of convictions in general, that it should not be inward but outward focused on how, what is best for the church? Is there someone else who's going to be offended if I do this in the church and this will cause them to offend their conscience and hinder their walk with Christ or their testimony for Christ? And if so, um, have that deference, have that uh, regard for the other person. And then the next area we find here for our perspective of looking outward rather than inward is... The discipline that it takes to apply that teaching that Paul just gave us in chapter 8. The discipline it takes to make sure that we keep our own desires in check for the good of, first of all, for what Christ wants, and then for the good of his church. Look at verse 24 of chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 9. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? But one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. He has to practice a self-control, putting his own desires in check for the good of what Christ has laid before us, what Christ's will is in our life, and what is the best uh, for his church. Look at now they, verse 25, now they do it, those who are Olympic athletes or professional athletes, college athletes, um, of course back then it would be the Greek athletes especially. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. If therefore so we run, and there are eternal rewards, and it's not speaking of earning our salvation, but of the rewards we can gain through faithful service to Christ. I therefore run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection into subjection of Christ, into su the subjection of what is best uh, regarding not offending another person in the church. And when I have preached to others, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should become a castaway. <clears throat> and then another area that Paul moves on to in verse 11 of chapter 10, if you go with me to chapter 10, verse 11, in which we should have that outward rather than inward focus. What is um, we should pay attention to the testimony of others, especially to the testimonies in Scripture. From the Old Testament is the uh, context here for Paul as he's telling his fellow believers, look back to those stories in the Old Testament. Uh, 
of the, especially of the children who wandered in the, in the wilderness for 40 years. Let's learn from them. So let's have that outward perspective that we learn from others who have come before us, especially those in God's word, but uh, others in the faith as well, that we learn from others who come before us, that we learn from our history. Look at verse uh, 11 of chapter 10. Now all these things happened unto them for, example, for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So when you're looking at your struggle and our own problems, remember, we're not an island. Other people have had those struggles. Look to God's word. How did men in the Bible and women in the Bible respond to the, those uh, conflicts and, and trials and, and tribulations that they had to go through and temptations that they had to go through? And how did they find strength in that time? How did they find the answer in that time? Through, of course, looking to God. And, and, and uh, we can learn, of course, from the mistakes and the successes of men in the Bible and women in the Bible and others around us in their testimonies. That we're not just looking at uh, our own uh, circumstance, but learn from others. Have that outward perspective to learn from others. And that, that topic continues all the way through verse 17 of that passage, at least. But now we'll go to chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. As we take the perspective on our, off of ourselves, let's make sure, as we look outward, we're looking to Christ first, but also to the church, in how we worship in church, and how we, even how we partake in the Lord's Supper and in his ordin and the ordinances in church. Look at verse 2 and 3 of chapter 11. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances that I delivered to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. So that's referring to order in the church worship service and uh, just looking to Christ as the head. And, and the men there is, is, that are leaders in the church. And then going down further in that passage to verse 17. Verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there, are, there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved uh, may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for an eating, and then he goes on to describe how some were coming and eating um, their fill, and others were going away hungry from church services. And he said, you know, the purpose of the church service is not to come together uh, at the Lord's Supper and eat your fill, and one person go away hungry because they don't have as much to bring to the table, but rather the Lord's Supper is a memorial. It's to be focused not on ourselves, but what Christ has done for us and that we are all uh, part of his body. And we're all identifying with the body of Christ that was broken for us, for all, each of us, each and every one of us together. And then another, uh, one more, one last area that uh, Paul reminds the church 
to look to as we need to change our perspective from just being focused on ourselves to the church as a whole, to Christ first of all, and edifying his church and the area is in the area of spiritual gifts that God gifts, gives each of us, just as different members of the body, a hand, a foot, an ear, an eye, each have their own purpose, but they are all part of one body. So the spiritual gifts that he gives to each of us are meant to be used together with the rest of the church, not just for each member's own benefit, but for the church. And so that's the importance, uh, so important for the church to come together and use those gifts together. And it's where, you know, those who, when, when, when someone's not able to be with the rest of the members, then those members are uh, missing out on the, the, the way in which that other person, through their gifts, can help complete the body. Look down to chapter 12, if you would with me. Chapter 12 and verses 3 through 6. Verses 3 through 6. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus. I think I'm going to the wrong verse here. Well, I'll keep reading. It's what I have now. That no man speaking through the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. The, and there are differences of ministrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is in the same God which worketh all in all. If you drop down to verse 12 with me. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. And if you drop down to verse 31 of that passage, chapter 12, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I you a more excellent way. And of course, chapter 13 on love follows of how without love our spiritual gifts are, em are empty. We all need that love that binds us together in the body of Christ and brings all of our differing gifts together and that love is most important. And again, the purpose of the love and each gift is to build up one another as the body of Christ. Look at verse 13 of chapter 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Follow after charity, chapter one, uh, 14, verse 1. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. You know, someone could come in here and give a testimony in Spanish or give a, or give a prayer or a, or a special music in Spanish and we wouldn't know what he's saying. But in his spirit, he's praising God. In his spirit, he's, he is being edified himself, but no one else understands. But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and to exhortation and to comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. But I, I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, 
except he interpret, and the church may receive edifying. There, again, the focus there is on the church receiving edifying. And if you'd uh, drop down to verse 12 with me, the verse 12. Even so, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek ye, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Again, the purpose of that gift, to edify the church. And if you drop down to verse 22 with me, verse 22. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not for them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church is come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there, are one, there are, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, and he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down in his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of truth. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, and hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. In other words, the purpose of everything we do should be to build up one another as the church together. And then lastly, the third message of 1 Corinthians, following that message of addressing certain issues that prevent unity, following the message of changing our perspective from an inward to an outward, to looking at how we can serve Christ together and how we can build up one another together as his church. Third, the message we find here in 1 Corinthians as we sh is that we should do everything for Christ, putting Christ first because we are his body. We belong to him. He died for us. He is the first fruits, the first to rise from the dead and now preparing a place in heaven for us. And one day he will return for us. Look at verse 40 of chapter 14. Let all things be done decently and in order. And then chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand. So the gospel, we are to receive uh, that preaching and we are to preach the gospel ourselves and we are to stand in that gospel. Verse two, by which ye are also saved if ye keep in memory that which I preached unto you unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And then he was buried, and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. If you drop down with me in chapter 15 to verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? We have to have that all in common, that we all believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That is first of all, that Christ rose from the dead. Christ, this is Christ's bodies, Christ's gospel, Christ's church. Look at verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. If you drop down with me again to verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead 
and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also a resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And dropping down to verse 33, going back to the principle of what if someone says Christ didn't rise from the dead? Verse 33, or any other false doctrine for that matter, verse 33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And then dropping down to verse 51. Because we believe in the resurrection of the dead, we're also looking for the return of Christ when, when the dead in Christ shall rise. Although the dead in Christ are spiritually, they are present and they are present with the Christ right now in heaven. One day they will receive a new body and that will be at the resurrection of the dead and at the rapture. Verse 51, now I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? Or grave, oh, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ has to come first, that third message, in everything we do, including, as we looked at last week, our finances. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 16. And, of course, Frank spoke of giving, giving our all. Uh, verse one and two, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So every Sunday they're to gather so that they don't have to have a special collection when there's a need, but they've had that store collected of offerings each Sunday uh, for the needs of the church and uh, missionaries they support, such as Paul. And look at verse 13. Verse 13. Watch ye, stand fast. Quit you like men. Be strong. We, um, we need to be putting Christ first in our fellowship with one another, in how we interact with people. Uh, following, going down to verse 14. Let all things be done with charity. And verse 19. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in his house. And all the brethren greet you. And apparently the translators decided that we're using the word salute a lot or the word greet a lot. So they use two different English words for the same Greek word. Salute and greet are the same word. All the brethren greet you. Greet ye one another with a holy kiss. The salutation, in other words, the greeting of me, Paul, with mine own hand. If any man love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema and maranatha. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And that word salute or greet uh, means also to embrace, to embrace, to enfold in your arms. In other words, we should all hold one another close. 
uh, whether it be physically giving one another a handshake or a hug or also just holding one another close in our hearts as Paul is doing here with his salutation. He's not physically there to hug them or shake their hand, but he's saluting them. He is holding them close in his hearts as we should all do with those that Christ brings into our life as part of the family of God, his church. Let us always put the messages that we find here in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 1 Corinthians, the entire uh, book, the entire book, the three, three messages. As we seek to serve Christ as his united church, let's make sure that we remove anything, divisions, contentions that are keeping us from following Paul's instructions and uh, coming together as a united church and uh, including you know, the other things that he mentioned, such as the maturity, such as the sin that has to be removed and having that common uh, unity of the teach things that we believe and practice. And then secondly, that we would have that outward rather than inward focus, that looking at what is going to help be best for the church and for Christ. And third, putting Christ first in everything we do. Let us stand united as divided we fall. Let's close in prayer.